Drive with Julian Clover. Getting you home. Cambridge 105 Radio. The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. And welcome to Rob Chipperfield and Lawrence Micheliffe. Uh, we're talking the Consumer Electronics Show, which is the big gigantula thing which takes over most of Las Vegas. Yes. Yeah, hello and welcome, Julian. Uh, Gadget, show, Gadget Guide Show number 120, or the first one of 2018. And we'll be uh, talking about the Consumer Electronics Show. We in... do this pretty much every yes, year at this sort of time. Yeah. Put, put it in your diary. It's for always in the first week of, of January. <laughs> it is power cuts and all. All of that coming up in a few minutes' time, though. Uh, first of all, some technology news, and starting off with uh, with, with the New Year's Security Fund. Uh, this is this came in the form of two wonderfully named and uh, complete with website and glossy logo uh, attacks. This is Meltdown and Spectre. It's not the James Bond film. Um, the there were actually it, you sort of got three for the price of two on this. There were there were three variants uh, of this class of attack, um, and it's it's really interesting because it's a completely new, uh, or new new to this area uh, type of attack on computer systems, and yet it's well, been anything, around. Anything powered by a microprocessor, pretty much. And nearly. Of what's interesting nearly. is it was supposed to be embargoed until this week. It was. It was meant to be released on the ninth, and it held. The, so th- this was actually discovered. Um, back in November of last year, 2017, um, and it affects pr- pretty much most mainstream microprocessors going back about 20 years. So if you remember back to the original Pentium Pro, before we even got to Pentium 2s, Pentium 3s, anything like that, that was when this first started happening. Yeah. And it's taken 20 years for this to come public. Is not all processors but it is most of them. And just to give you a, a flavour for what causes this, there, there was a really good analogy I, I saw of, uh, of uh, on Twitter, which was uh, someone saying to his wife, yeah, do, you, do you know when we finish each other's, and she replies, sandwiches? No, sentences. But by you saying sandwiches, that's probably something you were thinking of, and maybe that was your password, and now I know all of your secrets. Um, and it's sort of analogous to that. It's something called speculative execution. And that's when processors, to try and be faster... If they're not sure which way a decision is going to go, they'll take both options at once. So, for example, if you say to a processor, OK, if this is true, go and do one thing, and if, the, if it's not true, go and do the other thing, it'll actually do both of them at the same time. And then when it later figures out what the what that question was, or what the answer to that was, it's like, OK, now I know the answer. I'll, I'll give you the I'll, one that was actually I'll give you the one wanted. That, that was wanted, and I'll undo all of the work that I did on the other one. So you basically throw away all of that. Uh, that's th- that speculative execution. The problem with these attacks is: imagine you're in a library and you ask the librarian for a book, and they go away and they they fetch the book out of the shelves and then look at it and realise you're not allowed to have it. Um, and so they say, "No, you can't have that book," and they put it back on a pile onto their desk. Then you go and ask for that book again, and this time it's right onto their desk. So they can look at it much more quickly and say, "No, you're not allowed to have that book." Okay, so by by having got this information ready, even if you've then thrown it away earlier on, you can then answer a later question much more quickly, and therefore you're revealing information that you shouldn't be. Yeah. Now, I just by the existence of it, I just about understand all of that. What I don't understand is how, if this has been around for twenty years, <laughs> is it only just becoming public now? So this is and the that hackers, who we know to be rather clever from time to time haven't exploited it that in is, those 20 that years. That is the big conundrum. We don't know. And and indeed... Uh, and we also don't know that it, whether a government exactly. organisation or that sort of 
organisation yeah, has done anything along these lines. And it, it's an interesting thing because with the benefit of hindsight, which of course changes everything, you can look at these attacks and they are beautifully simple. It's not like, you know, some, some attacks on computer security are incredibly complex, incredibly nuanced. You can see, you know, you, you can work through it and say, well, I suppose that works. This one as a class, you know, the implementation actually making it work in practice is obviously much harder. But, um, but the concept of it is very, very simple to understand. And so having seen that, you can say, well, of course this is going to be a problem. Yeah. And of course, the, the question then comes of any cyber crimes that have been convicted, do they still stand or could someone go, but it was a vulnerability that existed, you know, or data loss. It's not my fault because the data could have been stolen through a technique that um, comes to light after the actual event. And is it possible that something has happened in the past few yes. weeks and months, which we don't yes. know about yet, yes. which has forced this, if you like, to the front of the news agenda. So it was revealed, and it, in a sense, it was, as Lawrence mentioned, this was meant to be released on the 9th of January. It actually slipped out about the 2nd of January. That in itself is quite an incredible achievement. Yeah, um, to, to not leak that Given the badly. scale of the, the people involved in this, mm. this was everyone because it's, it's core to the processor design. Um, it was everyone from... It's basically everyone who's a customer of AMD, Intel and ARM. Yes, and, and the people that knew about this even were from the chip manufacturers, Intel, ARM, AMD being the obvious ones, up to the motherboard manufacturers, your computer yep. system manufacturers. So your Lenovo's, Dell's, HP's, yeah. all of those. So the operating system, Microsoft, Microsoft Apple, Apple, all yeah. of Linux. Yeah, and a lot of it, in particular in Linux, a lot of this development's going on in public ostensibly. Mm. So things like when they were updating stuff, they had to make sure that they obfuscated what the fix was for. So they couldn't say it was for vulnerability. They couldn't say it was to fix a flaw in the processor. It was just, you know, just sneak fairly it out. generic type descriptions for all the fixes. So some of the systems I patched in the break between Christmas and New Year had the fix in it already that had been released by those vendors in the middle of December. But you weren't aware of it at I that point. I wasn't aware that I was fixing the problem before the press releases came out because the vendors had just gone, it's in our patch updates, here you go. We all do patches if we're in IT security because they fix things like this and those vulnerabilities are now patched on my system. I then read the uh, press releases, go and look back at all the patches I've done the week before, literally the week before, and went, so that's what that nondescript bit of um, text actually meant, was it was fixing this. Now, okay, in, into the practical elements what, for what people... What does it affect the man out there? Yeah. Um, or woman? Microsoft have released patches for this. This was in the Gen January patch roundup for Windows 10. Yes. However, watch out because to get the maximum benefit of this patch, you also need to update some of the effectively the drivers, the firmware for your computer yeah, your itself. BIOS. So this is like doing your Apple or your Android update on your phone, that, that lengthy update that sits there and chews away for 15, 20 minutes. That sort of update's got to be done to the base level of your computer. And is it sensible whatever's happening out there in terms of vulnerabilities to always keep your system up to date to yes, take yep. it as far because you, you can't go too far because the computer will stop you from uploading something which isn't suitable for yep. your device. Yes. And, and this is an interesting one because Microsoft have fairly well-defined lifetimes for these things, Apple likewise, on, on the operating system side. So Windows 10, you know, it is in support until this date um, and that, that's a rolling thing. 
Hardware manufacturers are much less clear on this. Yeah. Um, so you'll you'll probably have, as I have on my home computer, um, the the PC itself is probably five six years old. Windows 10 on it, that's fine. That's got many more years life in it. However, the hardware vendor has stopped supplying patches. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the machine under my desk at the office. Same problem. Are they going to bring out an update? I don't know. Probably not. It's going to be new hardware in that instance because I can't take the risk. Looking at uh, things like uh, HP Enterprise, the big server manufacturer, their initial list of here's the servers we've got an update out for was all of their current stuff, obviously. Within a day, it was all of the stuff one version behind. A week later, it's the stuff one version behind that already. I don't know if they're going to go further back than that. We don't know. And it's just a case of, you know, if you've got something that's sitting there that's six years old, even if you're paying for support on it, you might not get this update. Yeah. And you might have to then go, right, we'll call it quits. We've had six years of life out of this thing. It's now got to, unfortunately, go in the skip. Yeah. And it's an interesting trade-off. Or you've got to weigh the risk of, if we run this, where can we use it that it's not going to be confronted with any vulnerabilities? And that's a bit more of a difficult one. So, okay, there, there is a little bit more uh, that people can do. If, if you're sitting at home, you don't want to replace your computer, but you're not getting these hardware uh, updates. Things like your choice of web browser are interesting. So Chrome, for example, have already released a mitigation to help some of these variations of the attack that helps effectively it helps separate out different websites more cleanly from each other so when you're on your bank you can't uh, the the details you're typing into your bank website can't be sniffed by the uh, you know, so, some other random sports news website that you've got mm. open at the same time um, you're know, keeping those two things completely separate so do again make sure you're keeping your web browsers up to date same goes for your antivirus clients so some yep. of the Microsoft patches will not actually install unless your antivirus client is up to date because some of the antivirus technologies conflict with the Microsoft fixes and will cause your computer to pretty much die. Windows will then blue screen every time you start it up and not actually boot into Windows. So it's worth checking. It's also worth thinking about going for an antivirus that you have to pay for because the free ones are all well and good but unfortunately because no one's paying those companies for the development to come across fixes like this they can't afford to actually generate stuff that is up to date. So think about spending 30 40 pounds a year on security fixes bulk family packs from most of the manufacturers so you can get a three computer license for very little more than a single computer and then do the whole family at once and some of these antivirus products will also do things like secure your banking session it'll automatically know you're going to the bank would you like a even more secure browser and they will then wrap the browser in a bit more security to monitor exactly what's going on it's interesting my bank which is generally useless online does actually provide additional software itself to use with its uh, with its uh, its, its uh, site Rob's mm. pulling a face at this point if, which if kind, kind of suggests we need to explore this in the feedback yes. program <laughs> as I said it's worth going for paid antivirus check that your ISP doesn't throw it in free anyway they might throw in a free paid for antivirus subscription so something that is from a large antivirus corporation who produce a paid-for product. Yeah, I, think, I think mine does, but inconveniently free. only for PCs. But that's another. <laughs> it's, it's worth querying because sometimes there's a Mac one hidden away if you mm. use Mac um, or Linux. But uh, that's the things to think about. So the other a- thing- An old program, I'm just, just thinking here, if you've got, say, a program which you rather liked, you've had it for five years no longer being updated, should you start really thinking about an alternative in security terms, just, depends, just in security? It depends a lot on what sort of a program mm, it okay. is. If, um, if it's something that you use to produce cat pictures and uh, you save them off and that's about it. 
I probably think the, fine. The the key decision is is that application in the context of this at least is that application going to be running untrusted code yeah. that's written by someone else? Web browsers do. Your Office Suite, Microsoft Word, or the like, that does if you've got things like macros. Something like your graphics package probably doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's what you do with the tools, what you do with the computer. And think about the fact that your email is where you get your password reset for your bank account. Is your email secure? Those sort of things. Two-factor authentication we've talked about in the past. Go back and find it in our podcasts. Right, we'll be back in a few minutes and talk about Consumer Electronics Show. Cambridge 105 Radio. <laughs> when the night wind howls in the chimney calls and the bat in the moonlight flies, Gilbert and Sullivan's spectacular comic opera, Ruddy Gore, comes to the West Road Concert Hall only this 8th to 10th of February. Will Robin escape his family's curse or will his ghostly ancestors keep him from his love? For tickets, phone Cambridge 300085 or visit ruddygore.co.uk. That's 300085 or ruddygore.co.uk. Want that traditional taste of authentic handmade fresh Chinese food? At Zonghua Snacks, we serve the best steamed buns, noodles, dumplings and traditional cuisine right here in Cambridge. We've even got vegan options available. We're the only Chinese restaurant in Cambridge to be recognised twice by The Guardian for our outstanding food. We're open from 12pm to 9 at night, every day except Tuesday. Call Cambridge 354573 or pop in and see our menu at 13 Norfolk Street. Zonghua Snacks, your authentic Chinese takeaway and restaurant, just five minutes walk from the city centre. On Where's Flossie Live, Louise Wilson was the runner in search of the treasure. I got to sing the Cambridge 105 jingle. Oh. If someone can play it. Can we just give him a round of applause, please, everybody? Absolutely brilliant. He's just heard that once. Listen to Where's Fossey Live now on the Cambridge 105 Radio website. Cambridge 105 Radio. Yes, welcome back to The Gadget Guide, Consumer Electronics Show 2018. So if you want to have a look at the CES's website, it's ces.tech, T-E-C-H. Oh, they've gone for they've one gone of the fancy newfangled ones. Fancy new ones, yes. So what is the Consumer Electronics Show? Well, it's been 50 years. Wow. This is their 50th anniversary this year. Um, and it is just devoted to consumer electronics. So it is everything. And, and back 50 years ago, it would have been primarily white goods and washing machines and fridges. <laughs> I was just looking for photos yes. of the first one. Um, last year, more than 184,000 visitors, more than 4,000, uh, sorry, 184,000 visitors. Yes. More than 4,000 exhibitors. Okay, so compare this to June 1967, mm-hmm. 17,000 attendees and yeah. 100 exhibitors. Yeah. And more than 1,200 speakers at the conference track. Wow. Okay. Their official YouTube videos last year clocked up 4.3 million views just in the show period. That's not counting everything after the show's finished. So this year will obviously be bigger yeah. and has been. Um, so what are the the major things? So, of course, what we've got to start with is the news that they had a problem. Uh, they did, yes. Of course, a consumer electronics show. Middle of the show, middle yep. day. Big exhibition hall, lots of electronics running, running shiny demos. And the one thing you need to make electronics work, electricity. <laughs> and they had, they power had a total power failure. And of course, this, yeah, it, they got it back online after, after a while. But this meant that everyone had to start everything up because you know, everyone's bought their latest demos 
the latest toys, probably some of it's not quite as slick as it would be if it was a release project. It's going to take them a while to get it all back running again. I've certainly been to shows where I've been watching Kit trying to get working that hasn't mm. because it's not survived a power failure, but they had to evacuate the halls. Well, of course, it's, it's completely indoors. You've uh, got no lighting. And the challenge, of course, it was caused by rainfall. <laughs> yes. <apparently laughs> Electricity f- and water. <laughs> flash over on one of the facility's main transformers, which wasn't ideal. So, yes, that took things down for a bit, and uh, I guess anyone who had anything battery-powered might have been smiling been for smiling, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, for, how, for the two hours. Well, if your battery lasts two hours, you're doing well. Um, yes, certainly was an interesting one. But anyway... Some of the highlights from this year, so uh, mega TVs. Yes, display technology of all varieties was was a big deal here. The interesting thing is no 3D, no curved screens. So 3D was the thing about three years ago and then went away about Mm -hmm. two two and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. frankly. Then we had the, we've got the curved that. screen idea. Yeah, that was was that last year or the year before? I think that was year before. Year before, and then last year it was 4K. Yeah. So this year, uh, we're on to, uh, let's see how big you can get your screens. Mine's so, bigger than yours. So yep. Samsung last year displayed a, a, a TV they called the Frame, which had no frame. Basically, the TV could just float, or you could put a fancy picture frame around it and have it display art when you weren't using it as a TV. Effectively, an architectural part of yep. your house, as this, well as a... This year, they've taken it one step further and gone, the wall. <laughs> So because they've got this edgeless, bezel-less TV technology, they can basically sandwich the screens together and turn more than one screen into a big screen. So this is what you've seen in sort of commercial installations oh, yeah. as video walls. And and I've seen some done quite badly where you've got, you know, one centimetre bezels on the screen yes. and you put two together. Right, now you've got an inch between the screens and it just... Not normally the line straight down the middle of the someone's face. tacky. So they've got this... A gapless technology that can sandwich the screens together and they showed a 146-inch... TV. Now, 146, that, that's of course the, the diagonal. diagonal. This is, what's that going to equate to? About a two metre wide, two and a half metre wide screen, something uh, along those lines? Something along those lines. 146 inches in uh, centimetres is... And then it's about sort of uh, four no, times. Uh, try four try nearly four metres, 3.7 yeah. metres. So th- this, is, uh, this is not going to fit in your average living room, is no. it? No, no. This is certainly conference room or big corporate headquarters reception area type wall of video um and it's made from a bunch of um uh 4k screens so uh ultra hd screens uh bundled no 8k screens actually sandwiched together and then the the system behind it then separates the image out and displays it across all the so, screens. So you would give it a normal input running yeah. at probably 8K or something yeah, like standard that. standard HDMI, it 8K, it and it would it yep. would do the, the magic. Uh, no details on pricing oh, There's yet. a surprise. That's <laughs> going to be in six figures, I would guess. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Well, the, a lot of the commercial, if you look at sort of 110-inch commercial displays mm. at the moment, they're sitting at least the 10K mark. Yeah. So I, w- I reckon that's going to be mm, probably 50K at least, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, that's not six figures. Well, like okay. getting on. For that. I don't. I don't think they'll be that. Too, this is Samsung, who have historically come along with interesting pricing that has confused all the other manufacturers. Um, so you might not want that sort of size, but you might want to think about 4K, which is the the you know Ultra HD, the next thing after 1080p for your home cinema. Now, all the tellies you can buy today generally don't buy it, and if it's not a 4K, because you might as well have the latest. But projectors have been still quite expensive. Now, if you go to the cinemas, they've put 4K projectors in, so they're digital. So if you go to The View, just to name one of several, um, they've got Sony 4K laser projectors. Now, you are talking about a 50, 60, 100,000 pound projector there. 
but obviously that's a in a much bigger screen that you're yes. going to be at, at You home. don't need that size at home. No. But what has a 4K projector generally cost you? Up to now, it's been sitting around about the £10,000 yeah. mark. Yeah. So how about going down to about £1,600? Now, this, I like this, because th- this is just that cliff. And yeah. it, you know, it, they came in, the first domestic one, the so-called domestic ones, were sort of the £30,000, £20,000. They came down to £10,000, at which point you're, you know... You, you're the, real the enthusiasts. Real, real enthusiasts yeah. are going to, going to be going for it. At £1,500, if you're going to do a home theatre setup. Again, it's in that no-brainer category. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is for that price, you also get Alexa built in. Yes. So this is Optima, who've been producing DLP-based projectors for a good few years, and they've been pretty average quality. You know, it's like buying a Ford instead of a BMW or Mercedes. Yeah. You get something that works. It gets you from A to B. It gets you a great picture. It works f- well for home cinema in your average house. Yeah. Um, but they've thrown in Alexa. So if you haven't got home automation for your home theatre yet... Yeah. get it out the box and a great little box coming this year for about £1,600 yeah if you don't want Alexa and I think this is interesting well, you turn it off <laughs> you, you know either turn it off or you can save yourself £100 mm-hmm. there is another version without Alexa built yeah. in um, coming in about £1,400 and to me that's actually the, the more interesting one because so, I would I would rather my display to be a dumb bit of display technology my TV to be a dumb bit of you know dumb image displaying mm-hmm. thing and then that means that when Alexa isn't the greatest... Th- Sorry to everyone at home <laughs> with uh, Amazon Echo. Amazon Echo. Um, Echo's the other wake word. Yes. Um, th- that is going to change more rapidly than you're going to need to change your projector. In the same way as my Blu-ray player at home, it came with YouTube embedded, came with iPlayer, came with a bunch of other stuff. That's all stopped working. Yeah, same. It still plays Blu-rays fine. Yeah. So I'd rather take the intelligence out... Yeah. and put that in a, a £40 device. Or in a dongle that you can plug into an exactly. HDMI port. Yeah. So the other thing that was quite big at CS this year was artificial intelligence and digital assistance. Yes. And the two big players, Amazon and Google. And it, I don't think you could say it's a Betamax versus VHS race. I think it is a case of both have their place and yep. both will carry on because both have got different value propositions to the user. And both of them have strong communities. And both of them do work for a lot of things people want to do with an artificial intelligence or a digital assistant. You know, if you wanted to do the home automation stuff, all the home automation kit supports both yep. because you wouldn't go and just put yourself in one. Things like Sonos with their new Play speaker, their Play One, have put Alexa in it to start with and have said Google Assistant will be coming soon. Yep. Whether you'll have both at the same time, I don't know. But for most people, you would you would probably one choose or the other. one or the other. So... Amazon brought out a, a a new Echo device, which has a built-in screen, so you could see notifications, things like the weather and Twitter details and so on, on a screen, as well as talk to it as an artificial intelligent or digital assistant. Google have now done the same, but partnering with the likes of Lenovo. And that was what was really noticeable here, is the number of devices where it's a very well-known brand with... Amazon technology or Amazon with or built in te- Google. Yeah. Google technology. So uh, Lenovo have launched their smart display with Google Assistant. So it's a, a lovely little display. They've got two variants. They've got an 8 inch and a 10 inch. And it's a nice high definition type tablet device that you can put on a stand or bolt to the wall, which has got your digital assistant built in. And you can then say, okay, Google, tell me about the weather. And it will show up on screen as well as possibly talk to you. So some cool stuff like that. Uh, other stuff, well, there's lots more to talk about. I think we can probably carry on talking about the CES in the next gadget guide.